0: hi this is matt unusually uh, i'm not at the hackit actually sat in front of my computer we had a problem recording the, uh, the sermon last week so i thought i'd try and record it again uh, the atmosphere is not going to be the same but uh, i hope you still get something out of it uh, just to let you know the powerpoint uh, that goes with this is available on the website as well www.bcft.org. So. Uh, we're in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 4. If you've got a Bible handy uh, if you could turn to chapter 4 that would be good. Uh, This is a story that is is well known and that's probably one of the the difficult things about it is that uh, when we come to these stories uh, we've heard them so many times before and what I guess we need to do is to try and ask ourselves uh, to have fresh eyes and fresh ears as if we're hearing it for the first time Uh, I think when we do that we often find uh, new truths revealed to us. So just a reminder as well John's Gospel is different from the other Gospels it's uh, not a synoptic Gospel. Um, John really begins his Gospel uh, with a summary about Jesus, Jesus being the Word, the Logos and uh, relating it to these these themes of light and life. Uh, So he starts out with with almost his conclusion and then the rest of his Gospel is a backup, a justification for the conclusion in the first place, uh, and certainly this story deals with some of those things. He also deals really with uh, things that are going on, sort of slightly below beneath the surface. Uh, there's there's things, obviously, events and conversations that are happening, but John seems to particularly dwell on the sort of inner or spiritual realities. So let's uh, let's look at John chapter four reading from verse 1 says the Pharisees heard that Jesus was arguing sorry was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples when the Lord learned of this he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee now he had to go through Samaria and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well it was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water Jesus said to her will you give me a drink his disciples had gone into town to buy food the Samaritan woman said to him well you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans so we'll pause it there for a moment so there's two things uh, that uh, uh, particular about this, this person that Jesus meets first thing is that she's a Samaritan and the second thing is that she's a woman and those are two very good reasons why a Jewish rabbi would not be seen talking uh, to this person. Uh, let's take uh, women for the, the fact that she's a woman to start with. No Jewish rabbi would, would usually be seen talking to any woman on the street, not even his wife or a mother or sister. In fact, certain Pharisees went even further than this. They were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Now, they believed that uh, women uh, caused them to think impure thoughts and therefore uh, their solution to this was, was just to, to ignore women and close their eyes. So whenever they even thought a woman might be around, they would close their eyes and... Uh, pavements weren't very good in those days and uh, they would often fall over or bump into things and bruise themselves or end up bleeding and they sort of wore these bruises and their, their wounds as, as a badge of honour to sort of display their extraordinary piety now that might seem ludicrous to us but in a culture where that could even be a badge of honour just shows um, the extent to which uh, the differences in the genders the, 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 the sort of how women were thought of so it was unusual for Jesus to speak to any woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. So, Samaritans—they're mentioned quite a lot in the New Testament—but uh, but who are the Samaritans, and why do they get sort of picked out uh, with sort of special derision over any other nation? Well, to understand this, we need to do a little bit of a uh, of history, uh, sort of ancient uh, Near Eastern history. I'm sure is uh, really what what uh, floats your boat but uh, let's have a look at this so Jesus was going to go from Jerusalem which is in the south uh, of Israel uh, back up north to we read later on in John's in chapter 4 he's going to go to Cana and uh, if you look at the map there is a road that goes directly from Jerusalem to Cana in Galilee uh, but it goes through this, this land called Samaria and right in the middle of that is this town called Sycor or sometimes uh, it used to be called Shechem I think the lands and places got uh, the names got changed over time with various rulers and people coming in and out so Samaria where were these people from? well we have to go back about a thousand years before Jesus had this conversation with the woman Israel, the nation, had its heyday its golden years under the rule of David and then Solomon and then after that Solomon's son uh, became king, he was called Rehoboam and uh, he was liked by people in the tribes of Judah but not uh, in the north, in the ten tribes in the north and so there was a split in the kingdom, this was sort of read about in, in the Old Testament in Kings and Chronicles and so Israel split, you had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah and they lived together or side by side on and off peacefully for many years in 740 BC the neighbouring empire, the biggest empire the world had known at that time the Assyrians uh, were on the rampage and they attacked and captured the northern tribe or sorry, the northern kingdom of Israel Uh, they were a particularly brutal people, the Assyrians and they took many of the uh, the inhabitants of, of Israel off into exile and the ones that remained in the land uh, they forced to intermarry and effectively diluted them completely diluted the bloodline they also introduced uh, worship of, of other gods Baal in particular uh, so Judah the, the the kingdom in the south uh, they actually held out against attack from the Assyrians and uh, and were very sort of uh, disparaging of the fact that uh, Israel allowed themselves to be invaded and and especially that hadn't kept the bloodline pure. However, a few years later, quite a few years later, uh, in 597 BC, uh, the Babylonians came. So the Assyrians were sort of, uh, had their empire had, had waned, but the Babylonians came in and, and they did manage to capture Judah. And their people were also taken into exile. But the people that remained and the people that were taken into exile didn't sell out, they didn't intermarry, they kept the bloodline pure and they kept the worship of God. And so there was great uh, enmity between the two, two kingdoms. In fact, the people in the north, the, the what was Israel, because they'd intermarried and diluted the bloodline, they weren't considered to be properly Jewish or properly Israelites anymore. And so they became known as Samaritans because they set up their capital in a town called Samaria. The sort of uh, bad feeling doesn't end there. There's a, a whole load of things happened. So in 538, uh, the southern tribe of Judah uh, returns from exile from Babylon and the first thing they want to do is restore the walls of the city in Jerusalem and rebuild the temple you can read about that in Ezra now they said about that and the Samarians or Samaritans the the old northern kingdom uh, they offer to help uh, to rebuild the temple but because they're looked on as half-bloods their help is refused which again doesn't go any way into solving or helping that relationship so The samaritans after the jerusalem temples built they get a bit miffed and they decide to build their own temple they build it on a mountain called mount gerizim and mount gerizim just happens to be right above this town cycle where jesus is having the conversation with the woman at the well a bit more history many years go by alexander the great comes rampaging around the region uh, and his successor uh, a guy called antiochus epiphanides or antiochus the fourth uh invades judah partly this is helped by the samaritans they effectively sell out they they side with antiochus uh, appease him with with money and sell out the jews Uh, antiochus uh, captures jerusalem uh, and and enters the temple defiles the temple uh, by sacrificing pigs at the altar and uh, you can imagine how that went down in uh, a jewish country Uh, and then rededicated it to Zeus. Now this really ticked off the the Judeans and uh, uh, two years later uh, led by a guy called Judas Maccabees there was this Judean revolt where Judas Maccabees and and his uh, army uh, kicked uh, the Seleucids out of Jerusalem and recaptured uh, the city and restored the temple to Jewish worship. He uh, set up then a, a reign, uh, a dynasty of, of rulers called the Hasmonians, uh, and uh, a few years later on uh, his nephew, a guy called John Hyrcanus uh, was ruling and he moved on up into Samaria and completely destroyed the temple that the Samaritans had on Mount Gerizim. About a hundred years later or just less the Romans came by and uh, basically occupied the whole territory and it's at that time that Jesus is born and and lives and has uh, this conversation with the woman at the well one final thing to note though although the story is happening at probably about 30 AD it was written uh, probably in about 80 AD by John and by the time it had been written uh, 70 AD the temple in Jerusalem had been completely destroyed by the Romans, so the readers would have known that both the temple at Mount Gerizim would have been destroyed, but also the temple in Jerusalem uh, would have been destroyed too. Right, so that's quite a lot of, uh, of background, and I guess you can really just sum it up by saying there's a lot of history between these two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans. They really didn't have uh, a kind word to say to each other. Uh, there was not a lot of love lost between them. So Jesus. Coming to this town, seeing a woman and seeing a Samaritan, uh, by rights or by the standards of of most Jewish rabbis, would not have had this conversation. However, Jesus isn't your typical rabbi, um, and he doesn't view this woman as, first of all, a woman or as a Samaritan. He views her as a person created in the image of God and capable of reflecting uh, the glory of God into the world. And so the rest of this story is really a conversation between Jesus and this woman that by right should never have happened, but by grace it did. So carrying on, verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water let's just pause there for a moment. So the first part of the conversation is about water. Well on the surface it's about water but Jesus isn't really talking about water at all. Water is synonymous with life. I don't know if you've seen recently a, a program called The Wonders of the Solar System with Professor Brian Cox and the, one of the last programs in that series they, they asked the question is there or could there be life on other planets and while they didn't answer that question they did go into how they would look for life and the prime thing they look for on any other planet if it's got any chance of sustaining life is has it got evidence of water now you don't have to be a 21st century scientist to work that out the ancient people knew that too they had deserts and there was no life there where you have lots of water you have green lush fields and plantations and you get an abundance of life so even back then it was obvious water and life are hand in hand so Jesus when he's talking about this water he's actually talking about life in fact he's talking really about a a type of life Um, the word that gets translated as life here um, there's a number of Greek words that could be and one would be bios which just simply means as we get biology from it's just living things but that's not the word that gets used the word that gets used is zoe which is a quality of life, it's it's eternal life It's the life as God intended the other thing that is worth noting here is that he uses this phrase living water and sometimes when we read this we sort of think that must be some sort of spiritual term and um, possibly we even spiritualize it but actually living water was just uh, their word for, for running water, you had two types of water You have standing water, and examples that would be a pond, a lake, a a well, a reservoir. Water that's not going anywhere, it's just sat. And then you have living water, so rivers, streams, springs, fountains. So when Jesus says, I give you living water, now you can excuse the woman for for not really understanding. He wasn't using spiritual language, he was just saying, I can get running water. And... Really, she doesn't get it in fact her 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 answer really in, in verse fifteen it is semi semi sarcastic to be honest, it's sort of yeah whatever you know um if it saves me a trip, um great, I'll take it so verse sixteen, Jesus shifts gears here, he says to her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband she replied, Jesus said to her, You're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband." what you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. So, like I said, Jesus is shifting gears. He's saying, right, go and get your husband, we'll get down to business. Well, why did he say this? Well, I think two reasons. Partly is to show who he was, but the most important reason is to highlight her thirst remember Jesus isn't really talking about water he's talking about the quality of life now this woman uh, obviously had her own personal history she'd had five husbands and she'd sort of given up on on that and the man she has with now wasn't even her husband she'd been through one after another and it hadn't worked for her we're not really told why and for whatever the reason after five marriages she's given up the formality and she's shacking up with some guy just to survive Jesus peers into her heart and points out her desire for intimacy to be known and loved. And he says it's a genuine one, but she's been looking in the wrong place. How long are you going to keep drinking at that well? When are you going to admit that you need a different kind of water? Because we are spiritual beings, we're made for a relationship with God, and it's that which we should be thirsty for. Now, this is getting a bit near the bone for the woman. So in verse nineteen, effectively she's saying, Oh, I can see you're a prophet She's what she's doing is she's basically just changing the subject. This is like ah, this is getting a bit uncomfortable Uh, hey you're religious let's argue about religion it's just a smokescreen designed to distract Jesus from honoring her in her personal spiritual needs this is a common response when we're confronted with our spiritual needs it's funny that people who've never asked a spiritual question in their lives can raise all sorts of theological controversies like this when they're convicted about their need for Jesus verse 21 jesus declared believe me woman a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you samaritans worship what you do not know we worship what we do know for salvation is from the jews in these couple of verses jesus is basically answering a question if you remember back to the the history um, there were two temples there was one on that mountain and there was one in jerusalem actually by the time john had written this both had been destroyed I think there's an interesting comparison really between temples and the temple structure uh, and wells or springs now what was the temple for well the temple was a place where God dwelt it was a place where you could go to get put back in right relationship with God through a series of uh, rituals and sacrifices and worship um, but of course you had to be first of all Jewish uh, in order to enter the temple in Jerusalem, and you had to be a man, and you had to be pure, and you had to be uh, gone through a number of rituals, uh, cleansing ceremonies, and you had to be uh, have the right sacrifice. And even then, you could only go so far. And then once a year, a, pre- a priest would go further for you. And then once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies. Now Jesus is saying that actually, that's a bit like going to a well. Yeah, go there, you take the water, but then you know it runs out, and you've got to go back again. The word he uses for welling up earlier in, in this passage is pege which is actually the Greek word for an artesian spring it's it's a spring of water that's like a fountain shooting out of the rocks it comes up and wells up from inside you there's no longer a need to go to a temple there's no need longer a need to go and keep doing this thing in order to get access and relationship with God what Jesus is saying that because of him access to God is now freely available it comes from the inside It comes from the indwelling of the spirit and more than that it wells up it grows up inside you and spills out and splashes out so it's not just for filling you up or us up it's for overflowing and for the benefit of those around us. Verse 23 Jesus goes on, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who you speak to, am he. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of their town and made their way towards him so verses 23 and 24 jesus is announcing this whole issue uh, about the temples he's saying actually it's moot it's now that he has come what matters is how we relate to god uh, now it is in spirit and in truth like i said the temple is the place where god dwelt where you could go to get in right relationship um, but now god has come in person jesus was a al- light laying aside all the formulas and places as prerequisites for true worship the temple is now in our hearts worship is anywhere, anytime in whatever form focuses our adoration on God the life Jesus now offers is like a spring coming up from inside and spilling out it's interesting, verse 25 again the woman is she's like she's trying to close down the conversation politely she said, well, I'm not sure what to think let's just leave it till the Messiah comes and he'll answer everything and in verse 26 is the money verse I who you speak to am he, it's this moment that she evidently came to faith And he, but you look back and you think well surely there's a, there's a bit missing, she, she goes from indifference to sarcasm to just sort of saying well closing down the conversation to in verse 28 dropping her jar and going off and, and saying could this be the christ was it? what what happened in between i think really one thing happened jesus confronted her and said actually it's me Though it's not a decision that she can wait for when the messiah comes because the messiah was there it's very tempting to think that uh, well it sounds like it's a gift far too good to be true and whenever we hear that we're often very skeptical but that's actually the gospel that is the grace of the gospel it is a gift notice that she didn't have to do anything she didn't have to repent of her sins which were probably many she didn't have to say a special prayer uh, do any sort of ritual any ceremonies uh, she basically just had to accept who Jesus was and that he could give that gift to her and the results the results were that as we read in verse 39 many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me everything I ever did so when the Samaritans came to him they urged him to stay with him and he stayed for two days and because of his words many more became believers and they said to the woman we no longer believe just because of what you said for now we've heard for ourselves we know this man really is the saviour of the world finally just want to compare the woman at the well with somebody we met in the previous chapter of John in John chapter 3 now I don't think it's any coincidence that John organizes his gospel this way we have two conversations one with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and one with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and they couldn't be more different let's just look at some of those differences well first of all the name Uh, Nicodemus he was called nicodemus that, that was his name the woman well she doesn't even have a name We don't, we never find out what her name really was ethnicity he was a jew she was a samaritan we've just discussed that earlier gender he's obviously male she's obviously female social status He was socially prominent. He was a member of the political ruling class and also the religious ruling class. You couldn't get much higher up. He was the social elite, socially prominent. She was an outcast. She was uh, somebody who had been married five times and was now shacked up with some other man. Uh, She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. Uh, She was obviously uh, not wealthy. If she was, she would have had someone else to go and draw her water for her so she was about as different as you could get socially religious status well he Nicodemus was pious as we said he was morally upright a member of the Pharisees the woman at the well, well as we've seen she had history education clearly he was learned she was unschooled their approach he came and sought Jesus out Jesus approached her the time that happened Jesus Nicodemus came to Jesus at night the woman he met in the middle of the day it's almost as if John is saying actually the difference between these two is as clear as night and day you couldn't get people further apart it's interesting to look at Jesus response to both of them to Nicodemus he says actually you know it doesn't matter how important you are in people's eyes you still need to be born again to the woman at the well he says it doesn't matter how much of a failure you are in people's eyes you can still have living water. Jesus offers us this good news. It's good news because it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, where you've come from, what your past is, the offer is still the same. That's good news. That's the gospel. Let's pray. God we thank you that you've created us for a relationship with you and no matter how highly or poorly we think of ourselves you offer us living water. A spring of eternal life. Jesus, reawaken our thirst for you. Show us now any things that we have in our lives that we use as a substitute. Lord you offer us living water, and nothing else can touch us in the same way. Jesus, answer our questions and blow through those smoke screens that we construct. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to to come and have access to all areas of our life. Lord, we trust that you want good things for us, that you don't want our shame but our glory. Jesus, you offer us now the gift of eternal life, and all we have to do is accept it. Jesus, you save us from religion, and forgive us when we try to earn our way back to you. Rather, let our worship, our prayers, our giving, our lives, be a response of thanks and praise for what you have done for us. Amen.